Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ozymandias Project. Trireme Transit, the newest and most reliable state-of-the-art time-traveling transportation service, is now boarding for all new and returning passengers. Now departing, present ponderings. Next stop is Ancient Odyssey. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's special release episode. The Ozymandias Project team elected to release this episode during what is normally our off week in response to the announcement by the creator of the History of Ancient Greece podcast that he will be resuming production of his show. This is a content warning regarding sexual harassment. If this subject is triggering in any way, I'd advise skipping right to the episode itself. The creator of the History of Ancient Greece podcast has a history of sexually harassing dozens of young female academics and early career scholars. He took a hiatus from his show, but made no acknowledgement of these incidents in his return announcement, and offered no apology to the women who were affected by his actions. With all that in mind, I wanted to release this episode in particular to allow you all to hear from this eloquent and inspiring woman. My guest this week is Layla Johnson, a Lebanese-American video game developer, founder and CEO of Mohawk Games, and is a tireless advocate for female representation both in the gaming industry and in general. Getting to speak with her was a joy, not only because I was the beneficiary of her wisdom, but also because she has been fighting stereotypes and kicking down doors all her life. Please enjoy the following episode, and I will speak to you all next time. Thank you for joining me uh, this morning, afternoon, whatever it is. What is time any? What is time anymore? If you could just tell us who you are, introduce yourself a little bit for those who are not familiar with you or your work. So my name is Leila Johnson. I am a Lebanese-born, so I'm a Middle Easterner, who is today the CEO of a small indie studio, game development, developing a studio located on the East Coast in the United States. We specialize in strategy games, and uh, currently we are working on a historical strategy PC game uh, by the name of Old World. I'm one of the developers, historical researcher, head writer, and uh, sometimes occasionally art director for 2D art. That's awesome. Gaming is obviously a really big world. So where does, if we can think back a little bit, where does your love of history come from, especially ancient history? So uh, I was born in Lebanon, where uh, Lebanon is what where Phoenicia used to be. 
and where the Canaanites were. So I grew up around areas that are called Adonis, for example. That was like a name of a town. We have the uh, Ashtarut River. So that's the uh, Ishtar or Astarte River. Like, you know, it's like a land that is full of whether you, you want the exposure or, or not, it's just full of exposure. Unfortunately for me, uh, the, the curiosity I had as a child um, in history uh, turned into this the level of frustration. And maybe today I am this passionate about history because of it, or maybe it was just a big um, gap in my life where I didn't have the resources to the historical documents. Lebanon is a war-torn country. And I mean, I lived in shelters and, you know, we didn't have access to a lot of information. Uh, the government and the government is still very poor uh, in terms of exposing its people or uh, equipping uh, its people with information, historical heritage, even excavations, like all sorts of things. The government is really not uh, proactive about that. So I was very frustrated as a child because I wanted to know more about Dido. We call her Elisar. I wanted to know more about, you know, all of that history. And I had so much interest in history, but I didn't have the resources. And with time that turned into a much bigger curiosity. So I started going to museums around the world. The first thing I do when, you know, the, when I, when I land is uh, plan my own trip and the, I go to cemeteries. I don't know. I like visiting cemeteries to see who was buried there. I like going to museums. Uh, I dig deeper. Um, I wanted to go to Egypt recently, but the the trip coincided with uh, with the revolution that happened in in, in Egypt. But now, uh, having been working on Old World for a while, this is a must you know must have trip. So now I'm going back and getting in touch with people in the Lebanese government or in the NGOs in Lebanon to find out more about the Phoenician culture, what's really preserved, what are the efforts, uh, what can we do, how can I help, uh, what is there to be known, and um, expose uh, the industry to uh, this type of history. Yeah, I think that's a really, really cool goal. Um... I'm I'm very much for spreading history anywhere you can, especially to a community that I feel really likes to pull off of history, um, but doesn't always do the most research. Well, I mean, they're that's considering that they're they're games, and so they are meant to be entertaining, not strictly historical. So uh, I, I don't count that against them too much. So since you didn't have the resources when you were clearly like wanting to just voraciously jump in and read more and learn more about Phoenicia and, and all these great ancient historical figures. What did you do when you couldn't, you know, gr- just grab that book, go to the library, grab that book or grab that movie and, and watch it? Um, was there a lot of oral storytelling around growing up, sort of the way that we just always have passed down? Oh, history? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the... Uh... The folk stories uh, or tales that go around are so abundant and rich. So I, for example, was very surprised uh, when I came to the United States to go to school that the way the West knows Dido is because Virgil decided that 
uh, you know, she had a, she had this love for Aeneas and then she killed herself. And I was like, this is just crazy. That didn't happen to our Dido. You know, what kind of madness is that? And then I started looking into, you know, how did they come to this? And I started challenging that by finding out, well, one, it couldn't really have happened because there are at least about 70 years difference between when Dido existed and when that could have happened. And, you know, it just kind of took it personally. Like, how could you just, this is something I grew up with. This is like my whole, you know, story. Don't change it for me. And then uh, with time, I started realizing, I mean, as anyone who gets interested in anything, that there are different uh, narrations. There are two different narratives, many different narratives. There are so many different stories, different perspectives. Uh, And um, I want to make sure that the people, like, the Phoenician people, modern day Lebanon, get a voice. Like, what is your story? How do you know your history? What do you want to tell about what happened, you know, in the past? Why don't you document and write these things? And, you know, and if they are documented, where are they? Um, So I wanted to make sure that there is representation and perspective from people who had Dido as a queen who had Dido as, you know, the Phoenician princess she was and later, you know, Carthaginian queen goddess. Um, So what I did was started kind of following the stories that I took most uh, pride in, like the story of the Phoenix. Why are we called the Phoenicians? And and, uh, what is that story based on? And I followed people who had similar passions, but keep in mind that before I was 18, I was a child. So going around as a child, poking people who look like my mom or my dad, trying to get information and getting them to take me seriously, especially, I'm not going to super stereotype my culture, but where I come from, children are children. They are treating, treated as, as children. And if you ask questions that sound serious, you are treated as cute. And it's not just, it's not because it's a gender. It's just, oh, this child is so cute. They want to know about history. And um, I don't think I was treated with the seriousness I was approaching this whole thing. So a grown man or a grown woman historian in Lebanon would give me a cute, simple answer, you know, and would kind of have a playful tone asking me again like oh what else do you know about Elisar like you know who is your favorite goddess of the old time and I I have questions I want answers and uh, there are many many different layers of challenges and and trust me I'm working on getting something done for the new generation hopefully it's it's a long-term project but uh, it's in the works yeah, to educate the, the new uh, little Lebanese kids differently about their heritage. Get into That's awesome. That's awesome. And so when you came here for schooling, then I'd imagine games were just not on your radar. So when you originally came here, what did you want to do? So I wanted to study uh, journalism. Um, growing up in Lebanon, I also had this urge for justice. I wanted to expose corruption. I wanted to stop wars. I wanted to stop occupations. I wanted to uh, have social justice. I wanted to fight for women's rights. I wanted to fight for LGBTQ rights. And, you know, in Lebanon, that could get me killed. Two of my mentors um, 
one of them was assassinated and the other one was half blown. So she's still alive, but you know, uh, half her body um, went under surgery and um, uh, she has lots of prosthetic uh, parts. She's, uh, you know, if you're gonna work as a uh, investigative journalist in Lebanon, you're definitely going to, you're gonna put your life at risk. But I still wanted to do that. Um, I came to the United States with uh, this particular mission and um, unfortunately, as soon as I landed in the United States, uh, about 11 months later, my dad had a, like a heart attack and uh, I needed to go back and uh, make sure that he was okay. I worried about him. As a culture, we're very warm, we're very close. So dad comes first. So I went back to Lebanon to finish the education um, I had a radio show that fell into my lap by coincidence, by accident. So I took over and, uh, I started, you know, going down the route of, of, you know, broadcasting journalism. And I was picked up by the state department to work with them on a series of, uh, of, uh, festivals, uh, in the region that was in Syria. So I was in Lebanon broadcasting to Syria and they picked up the radio show and me along with it. And then I found myself back in the United States. I worked shortly for the State Department or at the State Department um, and found myself again going back to Lebanon for another radio show. <laughs> so my world comes from journalism and humanities. Um, and uh, I married um, a, uh, in the words of game industry, a relatively famous uh, game designer, uh, Soren Johnson. He created Civilization 3, Civilization 4, which by the way, Civilization 4 is the first game ever to win a Grammy Award. So um, that's uh, one achievement under, you know, the Civ uh, series belt and Soren's belt. And uh, eventually he founded uh, Mohawk Games in 2013. And I'm the CEO of Mohawk Games. We created two titles, uh, Off-World Trading Company and Old World, currently in development still. And that's how I found my way into the games industry. Trust me, I freaked out when I found out Soren was in games. I was so, such an alien to that world that I thought, like, am I going to marry this guy who's going to sit in my living room playing games all day? What my parents are going to think about this? <laughs> oh, that's that. Oh, that sounds really fun, though. Yeah, I, I can't. So coming from this this wonderful broadcast background see i think most people can make the correlation between a love of history and then wanting to go into journalism and sort of uh connect the two so then when you add in the gaming aspect so did you not play video games at all even once you were here or like did you have no connection to this world until you met your husband so it's all very relative like what is the connection have i never ever um played tetris no i have you know um, did I ever play a video game? Yeah, Mario, you know, <laughs> Super Mario Land. <laughs> but that was my claim to fame. That was the only thing I really did. I never played a PC, a strategy game before, which is phenomenal to like, you know, to play that game and realize, oh my gosh, if, if I didn't meet Soren, nothing would have made me play this game. However, this totally fit into things I would totally enjoy. Um, um, 
I, as, as I was growing, there was this level of uh, snobbery looking down at people who played. <laughs> I was so much into academia. I can't be playing like these are toys. Um, but uh, that thinned out significantly. Um, and uh, as we grow older and we learn more things, I hope we are humbled. Uh, and, you know, the that arrogance that youth has goes away. And I hope it's totally vanished in my case um, because that exposes us and opens up doors and lets us uh, have our own, you know, excursions in life and try new things. Yeah, for sure. And how did you actually meet Soren then? So if you're in this world of broadcasting and doing nothing related to games, how on earth did you meet your husband? I'm very geeky. Uh, in 2006, I think I was reading a book a week uh, while also attending school and having three jobs to pay the tuition for my school. And I loved hanging out with my, you know, friends, very close circle. Um, but I, I just couldn't hold a relationship. Like I saw for some reason, either I was not interested in having a relationship or somehow relationships didn't stick to me. I'd start a relationship two, three months later, I'd lose interest. Um, and uh, my friends got tired of me saying, you know, like, yeah, you know, this is uh, Andrew and uh, where's Andrew? Oh, we're, we're just, we're, we called it off, you know, and there's this Kyle. Um, so on my birthday, which is uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, they bought me a, a membership to match.com. They created the profile. They put my pictures up. They sent messages to uh, to potential acquaintances uh, from me to them without my permission. <laughs> Terrible friends I keep. Um, but they didn't send Soren a message. Uh, so that was all me. Uh, and at two o'clock in the morning, I, seven days later, I decided to be to act on, on, on that matter. And uh, I, I was tired of studying. So I, I clicked the box, I checked the box that said online now. And Soren was the closest person around then online. So I started the conversation with him. We eventually met and Soren studied uh, history at Stanford and then computer science. So you can tell that was gonna be a, a good date. <laughs> So you had a lot to talk about, which is awesome. Also, I completely sympathize with the whole, your friends make your own dating profile and you just sort of step back and take your hands off and you say, you can do that. I'm not going to do that. Did it happen uh, to you? I had a couple friends try maybe two, three years ago and, and it wasn't, you know, match. So obviously with all the new technology, it was just some stupid, oh, let's create, let's create everyone here a bumble. Everyone gets a bumble. And I was like, I don't do these dating apps. They're kind of stupid. They never work. And they were like, come on, let's just, just let us make one for you. So I was like, fine. Um, yeah, I haven't touched it since. And I'm pretty sure it's, I don't even know what happened to it. But yeah, I, I sympathize because I was just like, fine. There, there is a case for having your friends write your profile if you are not very good at describing yourself or feel very awkward about it. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't know how to describe myself, honestly. I'm, yeah, I, I would, as you know, my friends wrote this because I, I can't do it myself. 
Yeah, because I'm like, I don't know. I would do like the worst job in the world, I swear. I would probably just talk about how much of a geek I am about the ancient world and how I'm crazy political junkie. I don't know. People would be turned off if I wrote my own thing. So it's oh, probably no, say that. Like <laughs> I think geek is very attractive, you know, and uh case in point Soren. You know, he was the geekiest of all the people I ever dated. And I ended up having three kids with him. So, uh, and it's, uh, it's very, very attractive to me. Um, so I am this one person who is telling you that, um, no, just geek it out on, on Bumble. Go for it. <laughs> okay. That's good. Cause my favorite emoji, it's so embarrassing. is like the little one with the geeky glasses. Yeah. I use that all the time and people just kind of roll their eyes and they go, Oh, there she goes again. Big nerd. <laughs> so I take pride in it though. Um, Okay, so now that we've gotten you to the game world and once you got in it, once you started getting in it, um, you know, initially, did you take a lot of interest in it and say, oh, this is like something that I connect to that I really like, so how can I help? Or did you, did it take you a while to kind of warm up to it because you were like, okay, that's cute, do your game thing? Uh, I was still at State when I developed an accidental curiosity um, and I say accidental because Soren was developing uh, the first title, which is Offworld Trading Company. It's an economic RTS. Um, and I started playing the game after work. Like I needed something to disconnect. It's a quick game. You can play it with, you know, between somewhere between 20 and 30, 40 minutes, depends on depending on the speed that you set your game to. And I needed something to do after I came from work to disconnect. And also stay connected to his world and know like, oh, what he's up to. Um, and I started developing this love for, for that type of strategy. So pure gameplay, I, you know, uh, I was able to sell resources, uh, get resources, manipulate the market and strategically think of a way to buy my opponent. And that's how you, you win. And there isn't a lot of narratives, so you're just basically constantly making decisions. And very quickly, because, you know, time is also part of the gameplay. Um, eventually, I started having my own feedback to give him. Like, this is how I think you should develop it. And this is that, you know, something, you know, that would be enjoyable if we, you know, had that. And um, Soren tends to backseat a lot. Like, do this, do that when I'm playing. And I, and I chose that, you know what, I'm just going to start streaming the game and listen to everyone else but you. <laughs> Because he wants me to play the way he would play a game. And I end up, and I disagreed with him. Um, Like, this is not how you'd win. So when I lost, I just was, I had this like 30 minutes resentment, very strong resentment towards him. (laughs) It was not good for a relationship. So I started streaming the game. And the people who watched me play would give me suggestion. And I'd pick up anything I liked to do. Uh, or I thought, oh, that's very smart. They're way smarter than, than you know, I, I am. They can definitely help me win. So I explored new strategies. And with time, I started collecting data from players saying, yeah, it would be nice if this turned into, uh, for example, a, a source of energy. So I take that back to Soren and say, hey, listen, uh, how about that? So that, in a way, uh, created a community. So I was community managing by accident. And then uh, I started having the whole community give feedback. So the community had a a seat uh, at at the design table. 
and they became a thing. And that back then, um, early access wasn't a huge thing. Not a lot of games went that went down that route. Um, so I was collecting data, um, feedback from the community, giving it back to Soren. So from that day on, I think my relationship with the gaming industry uh, went on full speed. So I kind of made up for the time lost. That's cool. And I have to ask, so have so when you found out that Soren was uh, involved with the creation of the early Civ games, which I will be the first to admit, I grew up and I remember getting the big box for the PC version of Civilization 4 as like a 10-year-old and loving it. It was my favorite game instantly. Uh, so kudos there. So have you played it? it I, I can't believe how are you able to ask me all the questions? <laughs> yes, I have played it. And, I, and you know, Soren still holds that against me because I didn't play it when we were dating. I did not play it when we were engaged. I didn't play it even like around the time we were married. He had to ask, ask a, you know, ask it in a, in a, uh, a, a Christmas uh, wish. So it's like my Christmas wish for you this year is to play Civilization 4. Oh <laughs> At this God. point, Civilization won awards. And, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, geez, like, I have to like start, you know, doing this so I can please them. It's fine. You know, I'm, I'll do this. You know, this is what couples do for each other. I'm not into games, but I'll try. And, uh, and he will, and you know, he will say this. I played till three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't stop. <laughs> it is very addicting. Cause I remember my parents busting into my room because they saw the light from the laptop coming from under the door when I was supposed to be asleep. Um, because I was supposed to be a good little child and go to sleep at 10 p.m. and get up for school at 8 a.m. the next morning. And here I was at 3, 4 a.m. gaming because it's very addicting. Um, Two ways to solve this problem. Roll a a towel and put it at the bottom of your uh, door. Or if you can breathe long enough and the laptop won't heat, play under the covers. (laughs) I... I (laughs) So I have these very distinct memories of uh, hiding under the covers. But yeah, I, you know, I had a very old, huge, like Dell computer. And oh, it just, yeah. It got so hot. And then I was, <laughs> I was dying. So I, I could not do that. I did not think of the towel and like, oh, man, my life would have been so much easier if I just put a towel on the door. Today, I had the same problem, but with reading. So I had a flashlight. So I'd be reading under the covers and my mom would come in and snatch that book off of my hand but I had a very good solution for that. So I grew up Christian uh, and Catholic, uh, Lebanese, Maronite. And, you know, they, we have a Bible around the time we get communion with our name engraved on it. So I put the Bible next to me and I start reading it, knowing that my mom's going to come snatch a thing out of my head. So she takes the Bible. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dang, you know, <laughs> mom, give it back. She's like, no, sleep. And I'm like, okay. And I just don't know how many times I was able to pull that trip, but I pulled it so many times. I pulled it off so many times and she never noticed. She, she just never noticed that no, it was the Bible. No. Well, I mean, if I'm reading the Bible, you know, I sometimes felt guilty. Like when she'd say, oh, Layla, I can't stop reading the Bible. And like, I just feel so terrible because I'm just leaving my mom and she's such a good person. And it's like, I felt like a little liar, like, you know, t- you know, I hope if she ever hears this, that she knows that maybe the guilt, 
you know, is worth it. I've learned my lesson. I do not like lying because I think I was traumatized by this constant experience. Oh my gosh. Cause I was going to say by then I'm like, see, I would have been the parent to be like, Oh, so you read the Bible almost every night. So can you tell me about, and then just like ask a bunch of questions about the Bible. Oh, I already read the Bible two times. So I'd be oh. able to pull off the, the answers. And I read it from a very first historical point. Like I went and dug different historical references and found out like different historical things. Like I was just, I was geek on a hundred. Like it's just, you know, yeah, I leveled up every like, uh, you know, every time I read the Bible, I read the Bible through like the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I love to learn new little things that are not historically correct. So it wasn't great for my parents around when I was 13, 14, because I started challenging the status quo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, that is like a level of badassery that I only wish that I could reach because I tried, I tried to read that thing. I really did. It's, it's something about just like maybe the older language. I don't know what it is. I can't get through it. Like there's certain sections that I always like Exodus just because I wanted to be an Egyptologist when I was uh, a young child. I could get through Exodus like no problem. But you bring me to some other one and I'm just like, oh, ugh, this is boring. I, I don't. Thanks. I'll read something else. And yeah, you can, maybe uh, I'll maybe I'll share my notes. Like, what are parts you should go read, and what you should read after that? Yes, please, honestly, if you do, because I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who are like, I'm sure it's enlightening to some people. I just can't get like, I cannot sit and read through it myself. So maybe I need like the notes for Bible for Dummies. I don't know the the to short me, version. Like, what what was the first trigger of like that is not right? They'd say like. Abraham lived to 800 and something years. However, he, by the time he was married and started having children, he was around 75 years. I was like, what on earth is that? So I started looking into calendars and how they recorded time and what could have been understood from that and try to figure out if I applied that, this formula to this person, then does it apply to that person? What does that mean? When did they get married? How, when did they die? Uh, when, you know, it's just, you know, it was just this uh, very geeky need to have my, my, my understanding to the fullest. So, yeah. Yeah. So I can obviously see now where this love of research and history kind of works in perfectly with your role sort of as narrative designer. So for the half of my listeners who are not gamers, uh, and they may be more familiar with more RPG first person style games uh so for for strategy games uh kind of like old world which you're working on now and then like civilization if they're not familiar can you kind of just um, briefly run down like what is it and and how is it different from those first person sort of like the sims type games well i mean first of all um old world is not a simulator like you what you will not be able to do in old world is live history the way history exactly happened because as soon as a player is interacting with the game, we lose historical accuracy. And while, you know, uh, historical games uh, or games that uh, make, you know, history a theme like civilization and old world, um, there is a certain type of uh, playability and replayability that stops us uh, when we are becoming a documentary. 
and that is we are not. You know, our, our first purpose is entertainment. So in old world, for example, you are a, uh, a leader of a civilization and part of leading is you have to control your kingdom. Your kingdom will be attacked uh, by other nations or by other tribes and you have to defend it. But not only that, you have to expand it. You have to add culture to it. Um, you have to make sure that you have agriculture. And uh, while civilization as a ruler, you can pick Gandhi and live for 2000 years uh, till you win in old world, uh, you are a ruler who has heirs and you have to educate you know, your heir to rule after you. So you die eventually and your heir takes over. And if your heir is a total idiot or is hateful towards you, could actually kill you and plot to assassinate you. You have relationships with your generals. You have relationships with your wives or wives. Um, and uh, you have to be very careful to make sure that you, your wife is happy, that you, you know, while you are marrying the third or fourth wife, she is not really becoming resentful towards you. Uh, so there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of feeling as a, um, as a player of the old world. How did it feel to really run an empire back then from the beginning when you are still in a tribal stage? What do you need to focus on? How the importance of roads, the importance of discovery, of trade, uh, the importance of making sure that you are uh, securing an heir, that you're making alliances. Uh, who are you making angry? Is it worth it? Uh, that no, leaders back then didn't necessarily have it their way all the time. Uh, they needed to, uh, co to compromise and how and in what form. So uh, yeah, you're not just like creating a world and uh, living the historical uh, story that Philip II had or the story of Cyrus the Great. We start you off with enough historical accuracy, but after that, it's up to you how you're going to lead your empire. Yeah, and so for maybe the, I know a couple of people personally who also played Civilization. So can you tell us a little, like how does your game differ from Civ? Because a lot of people are gonna probably think this sounds really similar to Civ. And I'm someone who, I love Civilization Five. Like that's my jam. I have all of the expansion packs. So how does it differ? So uh, you know how like in Civ, when you are controlling your, when you're moving your units, for example, the order system, and um, you can move all of your units every single time. I eventually would put my units on, uh, on auto. I just, I just couldn't move every single unit every single time. It became like micromanaging. It uh, took the fun out of me. And as soon as I put the automation on, like so the units are on auto, it wasn't me who was making the decision. I just left it for you know, the game to figure itself out. So we removed all of this and we changed the, that type of uh, control to you have a specific number of moves and you choose which unit moves. And you can move one unit, all the moves that you want. So if you want your scout to go find out who's at the northern horizon, you can just keep moving your scout. So we put uh, that type of control. We also did the tactical moves of 
For example, the catapult can cause damage in the middle 50 and surrounding paths 20% or 10%. And uh, so we developed a tactical or, you know, um, combat form for the units. Also, as I mentioned earlier, as a ruler, you're not one ruler from the beginning of the game till the end of the game. In Civ, you are Gandhi and you're just fighting other, or you are, you know, Cleopatra or you're Hatshepsut or you're, uh, you know, George Washington. Um, and you're not worried about your heir. You're not worried about forming a relationship uh, inside of your empire, inside of your nation. With Old World, you actually have that aspect. You have to think of who's coming after you. What legacy are you leaving behind? You have ambitions to fulfill um, and you die. And you have to make sure that you train your heir to um, follow in your steps and not, you know, your heir isn't an idiot too. Um, you have to make sure that you pay attention because they can uh, cause the decline of your empire. So you have that aspect to uh, worry about, which is also different from Civ. If you want, this is more of a cross between uh, civilization, because this is how I read it, and you know, and people who covered old world or talked about old world, it's a cross between civilization and crusader kings. Okay. Oh, yeah. I like that description a lot, actually. And here I was over here thinking, oh, well, it's kind of like if if the Sims game were a time based um, strategy game. And then you mix that with Civ. I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Uh, it just seems like you put a lot more, um, there, there's, there seems to be more narrative focus, essentially, um, because that's the one thing that I've always felt that Civ lacks, which is I don't really have a narrative. I'm just, I pick what leader and then I go to war or I don't go to war and I spread my religion and that's kind of that. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, this sounds really exciting. I'd totally play it. <laughs> I'd totally play it. And um, for historical buffs, I mean, the narrative is also, so we include stories from that happened in real life. And what pushed me to, towards that decision is uh, Game of Thrones. I was watching Game of Thrones. Of course, if there's any connection to real history, I will probably find it. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, maybe in 10 years, but I will find it. So uh, there's, there's a spoiler here for anyone who hasn't watched the Game of Thrones. So please uh, tune in a minute later. Uh, but in the, the Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding, when they killed Rob and everyone, uh, that actually happened. So I'd actually go and see, did, they, uh, did that ever happen in real life? And then I found out like, yeah, it did. It did happen on two different occasions where they kill they kill someone like that. And I'm like, okay, well, in Old World, we're going to create, we're going to take stories outrageous stories from from that happened in real life hysterical history and put it in our narrative and then add an icon when the event pops up at the top that kind of takes you to the wikipedia page that tells of that story that's really cool um so okay say you have a young writer who Mm -hmm. wants to go into video game writing i think there's this weird sort of idea that if you have a strategy based game instead of an rpg that somehow there's not really room or there's not as much narrative going in so some people may shy away and say no no no, i want to go right for a game like uh, assassin's creed so what would you say as a narrative writer to convince someone "No, no no 
please bring your skills here because we need you guys just as much as those RPGs. So I would say to not just writers, to anyone, historians, uh, anything, just join a Discord server, join a community. And even, uh, you know, in any discipline in life, not just the games industry, volunteering is a key to be seen. Volunteering is a key to put things on your resume. So if you're hoping that in an industry that's today probably three times as large as the movie industry, you won't be, you want to find a job and you won't be able to find a job, the door is through the Discord channel, uh, follow people on Twitter that you want to work with or uh, games that you want to work on uh, and uh, communicate, uh, give your feedback, uh, give your suggestions. Personally, we hire people from the community. I am very close and personal with our community. I am always there uh, checking their feedback, what they are saying, and then end up suggesting things to people in the community like, hey, do you want to work on the next DLC and become part of the Mohawk team? Uh, because you're very valuable. Your ideas are very valuable, but we want to pay you for it. So make yourself seen. One, you are doing something you like and, uh, you know, um, you want to be doing, uh, we have community sponsored events that we take them from the community and put them in our game. And we have the CC like community collaboration uh, to indicate this is from the community. Uh, and with time, as I think of what is next for, for us, like what are we going to work on next? I start thinking, okay, I want to work on this type of strategy game next and uh, take something from Soren's you know, design book. And we want to have the theme in this type of, you know, this type of, you know, X theme. And I'm like, okay, well, this member from the community, if they are available, even for part-time, would be valuable to us because of their knowledge and that part of the world. And, you know, around that time in history, in this era, for this mythology. So I'd say start somewhere. Do not just apply and feel that you're being rejected join and make yourself seen yeah that's really good advice and i think we're it we're lucky in that i've seen a bigger shift away from the sort of um snooty attitude towards seeing games as just pure entertainment we've got this sort of hybrid edutainment category right where we're we're teaching but we're also entertainment so in terms of Archeo gaming and Archeo gamers out there, I know it's still a growing field. Uh, I'm, I, you know, follow all the, the people on Twitter who are sort of in Archeo gaming. I'm a Archeo gamer myself. Um, but I think th a lot of the games that really get most of the airtime are the Assassin's Creed series and uh, Age of Mythology. So for, for strategy games, though, um, maybe it's because... I just I didn't have the opportunity when I was younger and in school how would you suggest putting a strategy game like Civ like Old World into a school and being able to um, successfully use it and convince people we can use this as a tool of education first of all the first step that we need to to create is is it something that we want to put in schools uh, because of the reading right um when we are introducing, for example, uh, historical accuracy in the form of insects, you know, her Hatshepsut was uh, married to her half-brother. So 
are we comfortable putting this in school probably not (laughs) you wouldn't you wouldn't want to publicize that so this goes to the old testament the old testament has some very odd stories that you are subjecting young individuals to if we take a historical game like old world we have to make sure that we have a version that is uh, appropriate for schools that parents of all backgrounds won't have an issue with right that's one two in old world specifically i took liberties I looked for a historical excuse to allow me uh, to add representation. For example, uh, women back then weren't necessarily leaders. They weren't archers. They weren't workers, especially in Rome. Like that was not a thing. You can go back to Sumeria, one of the earliest civilization and find a woman leader, but it's very difficult to go you know, forward in time to when Rome was established, because Rome is the, in the seven civilizations we have, is the uh, youngest civilization, you know, and you don't have that equivalence. So we had to dig deep into history to find some type of precedence and base that, base it, base it on that so I can have representation, make sure that whatever a man can do, a woman can do in old world. And then you know, liberty is with skin tone, right? So if, if, if Cleopatra could be Elizabeth Taylor and there's a theory that supports that Cleopatra's mother is actually Egyptian, that's why Cleopatra spoke all of those uh, dialects, unlike her brother, whom she was married to originally, he didn't. And, uh, Um, She spoke all of the Egyptian dialects, all of the common dialects, probably 20 of them, 20 languages, including Greek and Latin. Uh, So why can't she be of a darker skin tone? So my Cleopatra is darker. She's definitely not Elizabeth Taylor. So I wanted to make sure that I don't want the perspective to always be... uh, uh, Eurocentric. It is very important. Cleopatra is a very important icon to the Arab world and to Egyptians. So I uh, communicated with an Egyptian artist and uh, uh, we talked about how best to represent Cleopatra and we worked on that together. So when we take that to schools, what is the pushback we're looking at are people going to be upset that Jesus isn't white with blue eyes? That Mary doesn't look like she belongs, you know, somewhere in Poland, perhaps Russia, but not the Middle East. Are we okay with having Jesus, a very heavily bearded man with long hair from the Middle East, a Middle Eastern Jewish man from Palestine? Are we okay with that? Are, okay, so what is the other flip side? the pushback how much time can we allocate to the pushback how much do we want to fight so the game makes it there while also saying we're not trying to tell you that these people weren't white but perhaps they weren't we need the country to be in a place 
uh, of readiness to these projects because our first aim isn't education in schools. Our first thing is entertainment. We are helping as much as we can on the, <clears throat> on the side that falls under our responsibility. And hopefully as I near retirement age one day, I'll focus more on education because actually that is a passion of mine. As we spoke earlier about like wanting to create that world for children. Yeah, I mean, those are all really valid points. Um, and every game, every game creator, every historian is going to find something that, that is going to come up. And I think there's also like a, a unique issue with some, some of these more strategy games where you're trying to use the basis in, in what actually happened in history before you, you go into playing it. Um, I can see why it would be very easy for something like Assassin's Creed to sort of get away with um, yes what they're doing uh, in a way that civilization and, and old world couldn't. Um, so I think that that's going to be a really interesting discussion though, going forward, you know, can Civ and can old world eventually make their way into schools? That's a, that's a discussion I, I I'm very much looking forward to seeing as we continue on and, and we are getting better, which is, which is nice. Well, but, to um, anyone who's listening to this show right now, and they have a way to incorporate uh, old world and they want to take it on, I'd be happy to help you uh, get that game into schools. I'd be happy to create a version for that is appropriate in terms of reading for school aged uh, children. And I'll work with you. But right now my resources to get this done are limited. Uh, for you know as a studio we're a very small studio um, about eight full-timers and a handful of contractors so and every person does multiple things at the same time so currently if you are willing I'd be very very helpful I promise so you know it sounds uh, again like um, some of the the issues that all the humanities space, which is funding. Funding is always the issue. Um, you know, we never get it. And I think there's this perception that when you just think of the video game industry as a whole, you think, oh, well, they're billions and worth billions and billions of dollars. You know, why would why would they have what, what they need? So um, it shines a very strong light on the fact that not all gaming companies uh, and everyone in the gaming industry is kind of on the same level um, and that's something I think that uh, a lot of people should hear because when I just talk to people about gaming in general they're like they're all rich no they're not uh, they're not all rich and in fact you know it is very important that we start uh, looking at education with an eye towards technology because uh, kids are exposed to games all the time and if you want to um, if you want to restrict your kids' exposure to games that you do not approve of, then maybe you should fill their libraries with games you approve of. And it is time to invest in games that you think are best that you, you know, played by your children. And these games do fall under strategy and, and you know, uh, slash educational games. Is my game there? Yes, it is there. What am I able to offer kids? I'm able to offer kids um, uh, an exposure to history. Uh, accuracy like uh, even we have a real life game back in the old day where we put the Nile at two miles away from where it is, it is today which was back then very accurate and we make Alexandria wider which back then was accurate uh, we remove forests that exist today that did not exist until later in centuries uh, we give the, the names the proper names as much as we can because you know like 
this is not how they called it. You know, the Western civilization called it this way. But when you found your civilization, you actually see Carthage being named the way Carthage called itself. You'd be able to make that connection. So there's a lot of exposure in the form of entertainment. So your kid gets what they want. And if your aim is to get your kid exposed to information, you are also getting what you want. I do that to my kids all the time. I put them on Duolingo to learn a different language. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's always really good. And okay, so what would you say to the people who say um, like girls and women, they're, they're, they're not naturally gamers like they're not i mean because i think there's this attitude right of like it's a very male dominated industry because oh girls don't game or girls wouldn't like this i'd say to all of them i'd be happy to give you my dad's number so you could have the same conversation with him because he believes that but he is a middle eastern man who also doesn't think that unfortunately i love him very very much but he's a traditional man and uh you know, we both had unlucky times around each other because I'm progressive. I'm his only daughter and he is traditional and conservative. And he thinks that my role is limited in life because of my gender. Uh, and he raised me that way. And I had to first fight a man I love immensely to get where I, where I am at. I had to fight against, since I was a kid, <clears throat> against a man I respected, revered, honored, loved, to tell him that, no, I'm equal, or I can do this as well. And I do not want you to judge me differently. It doesn't mean that I'm bad. I don't belong in that box. This is a very, very small box. <clears throat> so please do not repeat these things in front of your kids. Do not have a conversation about roles around your kids, because they'll start thinking it they'll start believing it there's they'll start limiting themselves there is nothing a man can do a woman cannot do and if we're going to get into this conversation of yeah well physically they are different sure we can have that bit of difference but they also say women are much more you know multitasking but when we go to day-to-day -day, um careers just general ambitions in life you know, anything a man can do, a woman can do. And the only limit to that is men. And when I say men, isn't just gender. So I'm going to go and say man in general. Human is the only limit to a woman. Because I know many women who are also in the way of other women. Some women who um, plow through their career and get there feel resentful that the women following them have it easier. But it is our job, and I say our, I count myself as one of them because I'm from the Middle East and I see how hard, how much harder it is for me as a Middle Eastern woman to be, uh, hopefully, and I hope I don't disappoint anyone being a role model. I'm trying to tell you that please expand. Do not be shackled. Do not let anyone tell you that you are limited because that's just their word. Um, and... If I can make it easier to one woman from the Middle East, I'm I'm happy, and you know I've I've done I've done what I want to do. I'm, I've done what I'm set to do. So don't talk like this to your kids, especially to your girls. Do not talk like this to them. And you don't need to have heavy conversations with your kids. 
but there are certain things you also do not have to tell your child like you're a princess don't behave like this you shouldn't be loud don't play like that girls don't do this don't talk like that to your kids because your child is going to start seeing that there are things that are allowed to a boy quote unquote that are not allowed to a girl so I am, I am but one person. There are many, many people out there who are way more eloquent, well, more, more research, better spoken, way smarter, who can, you know, be a leader in that field. Go listen to them and help your kids get out of boxes. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, there's, uh, there's so much to chew on there, but I think that the main takeaway is that, you know, if you're a young woman and you want to get into writing for games or you want to go into, uh, you know, game development, uh, there's nothing theoretically that should be able to stop you. Um, and you should be able to walk right through the door and, and hopefully find people who are willing to help you. If there are young ladies out there who just say, you know, okay, well, I may or may not have played games growing up. My parents may or may not have had this attitude that uh, women shouldn't play games. And if you're seriously thinking about going into it, but say you don't have the skills like coding and then you get kind of scared off and you say, okay, well, a man who has half, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't know how to code very well, but has a bit of training, you know, might get the job in, instead of me and I'd be willing to you know, work hard at it as well. How do we convince them, you know, don't turn away from this just because it looks hard. Make it accessible and for free. So I, I reached out to uh, game devs in, in Beirut, Lebanon after the explosion. I don't know if you, you heard that there was an explosion recently in, uh, on, in the harbor uh, area in Beirut. And I wanted to see what I could do to help because they're, you know, that it's cheap. It's collapsing. Lebanon is collapsing economically and, you know, internally. There's really nothing going on with that explosion in the pandemic. I don't see how, you know, I don't see how they're going to be able to pull through. I'm not saying that everyone's going to die. <laughs> That's what I mean. But I mean, it's like I and the, and the, the person I am here today being in the United States and working on this, I'm not being able to see a way out uh, of this with the, with the current uh, leaders that they have. So I hope they, they get out of this. But as a citizen from that world, I tried to do whatever I could. While talking to, to developers, we decided that the best course moving forward when things settle and pandemic resides, just you know, so many other things go out of the way uh, or get out of the way for us. The best thing to do is start talking to the Ministry of Education to incorporate computer science, coding, and animation into the schools. And that is by way of us funding teachers who are willing to do it. If, like, so it's extracurricular until we find a center and start this whole thing on our own. So hopefully with enough determination and people who are willing to invest, we'd be able to one, teach that discipline to all kids have workshops in schools to educate people that this is a discipline that applies to uh, all genders. Um, so, and also raise awareness on role of women in the industry, have women speakers, uh, bring women inspiration. So 
um, if we're headed towards, so if we want a good result, make sure that all speakers aren't white and all speakers aren't men. So the speakers who need to speak at those workshops, whether talking to children or talking to their parents, need to be women. So give me a few years and hopefully the ability, because that's a huge responsibility to tell someone in industry, let's go to Lebanon. You know, it's a, it's a fear, fear factor they need to overcome. Um, I'd be able to whip something up for a variety of speakers, inspiration, role models, uh, who are women in the industry to go and do these workshops. It doesn't have to be sick. Like, look, she's a woman. It's just, just, just let her be a woman and let her just talk about her role in the industry. And then you've made the connection. I think that's awesome. And this question just popped into my mind as you were talking, because I was sort of trying to weave it in there and, and think about it. So for getting more people involved, but especially not just women, but also academics, since you mentioned academia needs to be involved. Um, I think there's a lot of historians out there who would love to have a role um, in in some way. I don't, I don't, know all the ways we can we can get them because no one's tried um beyond a few different things but i think there's a lot of like historical and just historians in general who would love to be able to contribute but see the because they bring the the more historical aspect and then when you mix that with the gaming world which is the very well we're not trying to just tell history that's not us we're trying to do something different so when it comes to these questions of um, within the game, how much representation can you get? You know, you're going to find that pushback where it's like you couldn't have like an Odyssey, the whole you can't have a, a woman be the main character because in ancient Greece, like women mercenaries were not a thing. Um, and so when it comes to things like that and then it comes to the employability of if you'd like to get academics coming into the field and contributing at least their writing skills, do you anticipate any large issues with a historian coming in and saying, OK, well, I, I, you know, I'm not the greatest narrative writer, but I can tell you the history, the facts. And, you know, I want to weave this into a game um, versus someone who's like, no, 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 let's expand beyond that and do something that's not totally historical. Do you see any friction there in the future or? Uh, is it possible that we're going to have this great future where historians would come in and say, well, okay, I understand that you're going to put more representation in that's not historical, but I'll give you as much history as I can to support whatever you're doing. So just like in a good game and uh, from understanding that you play strategy game, balance is everything, right? You have to have a very well-balanced game to make sense. Same thing for historical accuracy versus representation. What is our aim is to make sure that we, as a, uh, as a medium, we're not, you know, recreating history or presenting history to players as, oh, by the way, uh, you know, let us tell you that women are not equal and we are going to be re-emphasizing this in a game that hopefully sells well, old world, but civilization is there before us. So, you know, here you go, millions and millions of copies are selling around the world where all players are not seeing representation. Women can't do anything because men are the rulers, men are king, men are leaders, men are generals. What are we doing? We are, we are, we have this extreme exposure, a chance to reach millions and millions of people. 
And we're not presenting the game to be documentary. This is just for the sake of inter entertainment. So even in entertainment, we don't have enough room to create a place for an equal world just because we want to be purists. And what is the purpose? It's not education. We are not presenting our games to be this thing. If you learn, there's no other truths. You know, we are exposing you enough to history, but we're also trying to make the world a better place by not putting all power in the hand of one side and making everything lopsided. We have enough of that already and we're fighting against it. And the world isn't better if we keep promoting one thing over the other. So this is a chance to hit all birds in one stone. Why not do that? And I don't want to hit birds with stones. I keep saying that, but it's just such a violent thing to say. But I mean, check all of the boxes. Why don't we do that? And I say this to historians and I've had this conversation with historians before. Play more games. Play more games. We need you in our world. We need you to come fact check us. Just we want the game to get as closely to historical accuracy as possible, but you're going to have to allow us representation. And I'll say this to historians and it's coming from a good place and I hope you understand me. You know, I am married to a historian and I, I just love history endlessly. I think I should have gone into history instead of journalism, but I do not regret my path to get here. I might still continue a path towards history. What I'll say is the following. I grew up in a conservative culture where my dad, before he married my mom, was studying to become a Catholic priest. If we use religion against science, where does that lead us? We need to allow room for us not to be totalitarian not to, uh, to rule as like, no, this is a rigidity thing. We need to be rigid about this so we can have the ultimate control. Historians who uh, want to make it in the game industry or they want, what is the, the end goal here? You want, you want more people to know in hist about history? You want more people interested in history? Well, the game industry is one way to get there. Just do not oppose it without flexibility. Be flexible, do not be rigid. Allow us to have uh, our cake and eat it too. So we're exposing millions of people to history. There's uh, an incline in interest in history. There are so many podcasts related to history being downloaded, so many more books published. So this is the decade for history. And our way up there, uh, up there is through a very popular uh, tool, a very popular medium, entertainment via games. So Get on the wagon. Is that a thing? Get yeah, on have fun. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally a thing. And I think that is uh, perfect because that's a phrase that I've heard so many times from so many people, which is just, if I could tell uh, historians one thing, it's play more games. They don't play games. It's like they don't have fun. Uh, I was talking to someone just the other day who kind of was laughing about this and said, uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry, my game is... Um, too entertaining for you you know <laughs> so yeah I think those are those are all really good points for sure and so just to kind of wrap this up uh, I think you said old world is it's still in the the early stages right it's still an early access or early uh, early release um, it is coming out in 2021 just to tune in try to get in discord our public discord I'll make it available for you if you want to share that in, in the podcast uh, or my Twitter account or the Mohawk team's uh, Twitter account, 
uh, follow us anywhere you can. So if you, you are interested in playing a historical uh, strategy game, um, but yes, it is still in development. And in our Discord, we have channels for history, people who want to debate anything from a historical point. Like this is not accurate. And I usually jump in and say yes, but we chose to uh, have a woman lead because we don't have enough role models in, in real life and we need those women to represent in the game. So uh, feel free to have these debates in our community. We'd love to have them with you. Yeah. Okay, great. So it's still early access, but um, what would you see, what would you consider a success for the game? Because I know that this is targeting a very specific subset of players because not everyone is going to play this type of game. So, you know, it'd be stupid to compare yourself to Fortnite or something. So, but for <laughs> you guys, what's a, what's a success look like? Success is the, our ability to create more and more scenarios that represent other cultures and other history. So there's a lot of history in to the East of the Mediterranean because old world is focused around the Mediterranean and the classical antiquity. So I would love to see a history in Ethiopia. I'd love to see a history in Japan. I'd love to see history happening in China. I want to create one of like the rise of the Arabs. Uh, I want to create one in like the Northern, you know, Europe. Uh, so I'd love to see different scenarios being created because again, I am, I, I just love history so much and I'd like to address every single possible period. Um, and uh, I wanna do one with the history of the Mongols and it's just, there's so much to share and that would be success. If the game sells, we'd be able to create more scenarios that focus on a specific time, a specific era and spread more knowledge about specific eras uh, currently, we are working on a Carthage story that's like Queen Dido and, you know, her uh, escaping to North Africa. And we get a lot more uh, married to history through these scenarios than in the main base game. So each scenario focuses a whole lot more on history than the general game does. So that would be success to me. Okay. Well, I, I hope it all, you know, works out because I, I want to see all that too. I, I love history just as voraciously. So, you know, anyone who wants to make or produce something that's set in a time period that I'm not quite familiar with, um, like the classical world, uh, I, I will happily play it, read it, watch it, do whatever. So you can count on at least one person to, to buy it, play it and, and um, spread the word and, and then keep playing. Well, you get a free key. So that's the uh... Ah, oh, thank you. Yes, so that's uh, coming your way. I'd say oh. that if anyone is listening is interested in or focused or has studied a specific era, please reach out because uh, it's not like we are too early thinking of the next uh, chapters of Old World, uh, next focuses. So we are looking at one, the ones that you know, specifically studied uh, the Arabs. Uh, you know, there are so many people who studied the Roman culture and the Greek culture. We're going into the less favorite ones, <laughs> the less popular ones. So if you are of a specific uh, um, uh, discipline or specific focus, please reach out. You can find me, I'm sure. Just like go to Twitter. I live there. Um, and find me, talk to me, DM me. Uh, I'd love to know what is your area of focus and see how I can work something out with you. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're sticking with the old world theme, I mean, how, 
old is too or well not old sorry I, my timelines are messed up so i'm like how new uh, how modern is too modern so like is is there a cutoff date for time periods that you're looking at so if you do something you know up until the date or after the date i don't have a this is a very good question when is the cutoff i do not know necessarily when does the old world stop being old I think at the cutoff of industrial era. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, I've, I've asked people a, a lot, you know, what would they consider the end of the ancient world, quote unquote. And I think it just depends, honestly, on like what time period you study. I mean, you know, if you're talking to a seriologist, they're going to say, well, mine kind of you know they'll say the classical period is is too young for me you know and then if you're um studying the viking world in the ninth century ad you're gonna say well that's still ancient right so mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's one answer so i think it's yeah okay and so if you study anything older than the industrial world definitely <laughs> uh there's there's someone who wants to talk to you I'd love to talk to you and see whether we can we can create a scenario together for the world to see and you know um so please reach out great so at the end of every podcast I have every guest read the poem Ozymandias by Percy Shelley um and then after you read it if you can just give me your quick thoughts on you know what does this poem mean is there some larger meaning behind it or is it just a nice poem all right when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, 
two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half-sunk and shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings, look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of the colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Yeah, well, I mean, I get two paradoxical feelings, themes. Well, one that speaks of might and grandeur, like power, and one that speaks of something that's broken and forgotten and poorly used, like it's found in a, in a sad state. So there's also the, the fact that the traveler is describing what ends up being, I think, Ramses II. So uh, brings me to an event that happened three days ago, April 3rd, where Ramses II, the mummy of Ramses II, and uh, along with 22 other mummies were moved to the museum. One of them is our own Hatshepsut in Old World. And I'm thinking, you know, did Ramses ever think that his majesty is going to end up in a broken state where this anonymous traveler finds it by accident? So there's definitely, um, there are two different themes here, opposing themes, one of great might and one of like, you know, something that's forgotten. And, you know, I, again, I'm a geek. So when, when, uh, when this is being described as the wrinkles and uh, I'm thinking of um, Senenmut, uh, alleged lover of Hatshepsut and head architect. And when I was reading her book, the book about her, they actually uh, used to uh, sculpt the mummies uh, according to their ages. So if you aged and you had wrinkles, that would show the wrinkles. So they'd, they'd know that this is Senenmut at a later age or Senenmut was on a very tired day. Like they would actually sculpt the way you look today. Like you have sunken eyes and you didn't sleep very well. You are unlucky because guess what? This is the sculpture day, <laughs> picture day. So you're going to look exactly how, you know, how you are going to look. So there's... Uh, there's so much truth in that poem. Uh, accuracy, accuracy. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, and so, I guess just just to make sure we're uh, we're thinking about it in even terms for this uh, last question, uh, I'm gonna quickly say that um, when I read this poem, it's it's very much a, a commentary by Shelley on the ephemeral nature of political power. Um, it's saying you know, if it's not for the little guy, the artisan who created the statue, this great king who thought he would be the king for the eternity, his civilization is gone. It's broken. It's fleeting. Um, and so, you know, do good things and you'll be remembered or whatever. And so the, the very last question I ask all the guests are, 
if you can think about just everything that's going on in today's world, is there a modern Ozymandias? Is there something that we think is amazing and like just the best thing ever? It's going to last forever. And then realistically in 2000 years, is it going to last? Or are we just going to look back and say, that was a fun experiment? That's a very interesting question. Uh, I think that our ability to access other worlds is going to be something that we are going to remember forever. I feel that we are also on the brink of uh, time travel, which would be interesting. I wish I lived long enough to be able to time travel because uh, there are so many people I want to just kind of stalk. Um, I would say as something that would be extremely interesting just from a my, my, my own, you know, like thinking out loud is if we were to experience right now whatever, you know, people talk about the end of the world, everything ends today, all life. And then alien comes to, on earth and wants to recreate the history, like what happened here and who we are. Yes, there are books, but I think they'll pick up our cell phones. And how would you be able to recreate history if they are picking up our cell phones? We don't think about this when we go back in time and realize we are taking the word of whomever we are really actually finding, whoever had anything really to say about it back then. And we're using this as documentation. Do you ever think about that? No, but that's a good one. That's a really, really good one. I mean, because it's like, yeah, we know that most ancient sources are very biased because it's usually from just men and like rich ones at that but uh yeah i don't we're to recreate the scene of that traveler finding some artifact let's just create it in a different way and aliens find a few cell phones and these cell phones are belonging to whom so Ooh. they can represent our being so ramses is a representative of a time long gone of a civilization of a type of thinking or type of ruling, uh, things that were found, things that were lived, a certain appreciation over others. What about us as a whole humankind? How are we represented to aliens and whose cell phones can they pick so they'd know how we lived our lives, what we thought, how we looked at the world, how we are describing others, what kind of footprint we have today in those forms. Ooh, okay. That I love that answer. That's so good. That got me thinking um, in, in a way that I'm going to be thinking about this now for, for the next, at least the rest of the day. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to come and, and speak with me and, and, you know, hopefully teach people a little bit about what you do and how you got there and um, about the game itself. Cause I think I'm very excited to play it. And I, I know people who would be, and then for people who don't really game that much, but who are interested in history, I'm hoping that this has made them want to go play it. Well, I hope I made the sense to anyone who is listening. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Um, and uh I hope we keep in touch and uh, get the conversation going and make sure there's a key coming your way. I'd love to hear from you on how you think the game is. Yeah, uh, 100%. I for sure will. <laughs> Trireme Transit is now departing Ancient Odyssey. Next stop is Present Ponderings. I met a traveler from an antique land who said... 
Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.